He always told me the truth, student. He said that our music was good and ahead of its time. He died from a brain hemorrhage. I don't even know what that means. He was only 21. But George said he must have packed in 80 years of living into his short 20. In that case, he must have seen into the future. He must have known we were going places. Where are we going? To the top. I can't hear you! To the top! What top? To the top! Let's rock and roll! Hello and welcome to A Year with the Beatles, a limited series of 12 podcasts exploring virtually every studio album by the Beatles, month by month. My name is Graham Burke. I'm joined today by Rob Jones, a music critic and writer for the music history blog, The Delete Pin. Hey there, Rob. Hello. And we're also joined today by fellow Beatles fan, Shannon Dohar. Hey there, Shannon. Hello. Good to be back. Now, this episode is a supplement to our recent fifth episode. We talked about the Beatles feature film, Help, and we thought we would follow that up with a special episode discussing films about the Beatles. These are films which members of the Beatles are featured in some form or another, or which chronicle some period during the band's history. Now, we excluded films about John and Lennon and Paul McCartney's solo careers, so that has left us with five films to choose from, which are 1979's Birth of the Beatles, 1991's The Hours and Times, 1994's Backbeat, 2001's Two of Us, and 2009's Nowhere Boy. So, with all that said, the three of us have watched a lot of films feature about the Beatles, and... I guess I'm going to start with you, Rob. What is it that you think is so appealing about the Beatles story that we keep coming back to retell it again and again? It's a, it's a quest myth. That's, that's what it is. I think that's really the, the, the key to it. Uh, it's a quest myth. It's about four guys who come from, uh, you know, certain kind of, you could say, mundane backgrounds, and they rise to stardom, and they face trials and tribulations in the middle, uh, and certainly at the end. Uh, but they, uh, you know, they, they sort of leave a, a myth, you know, in their wake. And I think, I think that's just really compelling. I think uh, a lot of stories are compelling for those reasons, you know, and the Beatles story is certainly one. Shannon, what's the appeal of using the Beatles as a topic for biopics? Um, I wonder if there's not a, a piece of us that is satisfied by the fact that, you know, the Beatles stopped touring so early. And I think there's a part of us as, as Beatles fans that just want to see want to get as close as we can to that experience. And most of us didn't get the chance to, to see the Beatles, certainly live as a band. And, you know, only in their individual careers would, would most people have been able to see them. So I think there's a part of the, the Beatles fan zeitgeist that just wants to see them on screen and connect with them in a visual way. Interesting. I think you're both talking about different pieces of it. And, and for me, I think the, the piece I would add is that the Beatles are possibly the most well-documented music in the history of music. And I think in that regard, we want to see depicted 
that sort of documentation we've seen. We all know what the quarrymen were. I, you know, we want to see that moment where they're standing on top of the, the back of the trailer at a village fate. We want to see what it was like for them to perform in Hamburg or, you know, that sort of thing. You know, we want to see the dynamic between them and Brian Epstein or, or between Paul and John. We want to see that kind of depiction because it's so much of it is as we've read about or we've heard about in documentaries or we've heard about in interviews. Now, all of us are bringing clips from some of the films we watched. Now, Rob, I hasten to say you drew the short straw in some ways, and mm. because you picked the earliest film, Birth of the Beatles, which was a TV movie in North America. It was a feature film elsewhere, and it was directed by Return of the Jedi's Richard Marquand, and it was produced by Dick Clark. Yeah, so. there you go. It's like the world's oldest teenager, my friends. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about it and uh, and set up your clip? Well, it was a, certainly t a television event, as they used to call it back in the olden days, uh, in that, you know, it was the first movie that was made about the Beatles. And very importantly, uh, it was the only movie made about the Beatles when all four Beatles roamed the earth. Uh, and uh, I think that's important. It went over that sort of whole myth quest. That was its form, you know. It was about three guys uh, and eventually four guys coming out of their sort of humble beginnings and their rise to the stardom and how they got there and also including some kind of human drama in there as well. And this was the, the first film uh, to do that. Now, whether or not you think they've done a good job is it is another matter entirely. You know, some people get distracted, for instance, that uh, Nasty Nick from EastEnders plays George Harrison, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. It's true. Stuff like it's that. True. But generally speaking, this was the first crack at it. Now, in terms of the clip, it, it's one of my favorite scenes, and that is a John Lennon character is talking to, uh, <clears throat> to Brian Epstein after Brian Epstein has been uh, gay bashed. So shame, John. You know, it's all right, Brian. Nothing to be ashamed of, you know. Any loving. Anything between people that's loving's all right. There's too much pain in this world. We knew about you the first time I was here. Don't matter to us, Epi. We need you. Just be more careful next time, okay? Come on. Let's go and celebrate. Celebrate what? I don't know. Let's get drunk and work it out. Now, Rob, I, I gotta say, it, it is a great scene, as you say. It, it's probably the best scene in the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah certainly but one of them. It absolutely is. Yeah. But I, I think it also underscores what irritates me so much about this film. It, it is it is a very on-the-nose movie. It is one of those movies that cannot so much just let a moment go by as tell you everything that you need to know and feel in that scene. Yeah. Um, the other scene that really irritates me in that movie is just after Stuart Sutcliffe dies and and John goes on stage in Hamburg and he starts talking about yeah. him and there's this big, long, wrought-out speech talking about what Stuart Sutcliffe meant and now he'll never be able to be one of the Beatles. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. it's like, oh, God, please. It's so, on, it's so on the nose, I wanted to buy a nasal splint. It was just... <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It is, it is. 
it, and and in some ways it kind of had to be they they marked they marked it you know with little flags like this was historic this thing right. was historic this thing here um and and it is they they do have to create the drama part out of it so they they a couple of places it was quite overwrought i think that the the speech on stage was probably the best example of that where lennon was sort of giving this sort of heartfelt speech in real life, he probably didn't have that kind of, you know, vocabulary to understand exactly what that loss meant. But because it's a film, they gotta, you know, they gotta sort of put words in his mouth and, you know, say, well, you know, Lennon said this, and that's what made him such an artist because he had a deep soul and things like that. Yeah. So they kind of threw that stuff in there, I think. It's also the portrayal of Lennon as worldly wise person. Yes. It's just, you know, yeah. <laughs> even that's, even that clip has that element of it. It's yeah, it does. It does. Has, it kind of feels like he's almost too good for reality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the scenes in Riverpool have a real kind of feel to them. I, that I really like it. It was made only, you know, roughly, you know, uh, within 20 years of, of when the Beatles actually lived there. Uh, the visuals are quite are quite are quite stunning. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, it, it just, is a little distracting, just... though, at the beginning when, you know, John, John, Paul and, and George are kind of wandering around wearing their leather jackets. It's very sort of knowing what we know now about about, you know, how that, that story went. It's a little absurd to see them kind of you know, walking around like three elves in a, in a magic land of, you know, Liverpool dreaming of stardom type stuff. And uh, anyway, but again, this is the first crack at this story, right? And it's a pretty big story and it's got a lot of that mythic quality to it. Actually, Rob, you raise a valid point. I mean, all these films play somewhat fast and loose yes. with history. Um, and, and I mean, two of them are outright fictions. They, they even say so right at the very start. Uh, how much fidelity do you need in order to feel comfortable about a film about the Beatles, I guess? At this point, you can kind of, your brain kind of fills in the gaps a little bit, you know, like you just know certain things are probably made up or probably, you know, guessed at. Some of the real geeky things for me was, you know, the fact that in The Birth of the Beatles, they were playing songs that they that couldn't possibly have been written yet, you know, and they're doing it on stage at Hamburg. Like, that's just me being a geek, though, like just in terms of, of that type of stuff. But your your brain kind of fills in the the gaps because the most important thing is that it's an it's an arc, you know, and 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 most if not all biopics are structured in that way because it's it's the story of a of a hero trying to find his golden fleece, you know. Basically, that's what all biopics are. Again, like your your mind kind of fills in the gaps a lot of the time, but some some of them are really distracting. Like, uh, Don't Bother Me was not played in Hamburg, and that's just me being a geek, so. But it wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. It, I know. We're all geeks here. Let's, you know. We're all in it together. Yeah. I just need it to know what it is. Like, I, th- I, need, the, I need the piece of art to, to know, to kind of not, not hold any punches and not have any pretense. Like, if it's, if it's going to be playing a little bit fast and loose with history, then that's fine. I mean, I, I certainly understand, you know, a need for a dramatic arc and, you know, that, that no piece of fiction is ever going to be completely, is ever going to match up completely to what happens. That doesn't generally bother me as long as I don't feel like they're trying to pull it on over me. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I'm trying to be tricked. Yeah, like this one was not trying to trick me. This was fine. It knew exactly what it was. It was doing exactly what it was trying to do. John was very on the nose and a little bit like 
too articulate for his own good in this film in a way that is completely almost definitely not realistic uh, but that's fine like it does what it needs to do for the for the story that it's trying to tell and i don't get too hung up on that kind of stuff honestly it's funny i mean you're you're right it doesn't try to trick us but i, don't, I think it's too stupid to know how to do that if that even if it wanted to. Like, <laughs> yeah it have, this is not a <laughs> okay. film with an agenda well except yeah. for the best stuff <laughs> yeah harsh but fair yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> now shannon you picked Two of Us, which is a another TV movie, which was directed by Let It Be's Michael Lindsay Hogg, that stars Aidan Quinn and Jared Harris. So what can you say about it by way of setting up your film? Uh, well, I think that this was interesting for a lot of different ways. I mean, this is the only film that is uh, taking place in New York. This is the only film that have passed a certain point in their career. And it is essentially a wish fulfillment film. Um, mm. You know, there is this kind of legend, as the intro card says, that at some point before his murder, when John was living in Dakota, Paul would kind of drop by, and there is this understanding that he dropped by on the night that Lauren Michaels got on Saturday Night Live and offered $3,000 for the Beatles to come down and, and sing a song. So it's, it is the wish fulfillment film. I mean, it is very much um, all of the things that you think that you want Paul and John to say to each other. It's a very on the nose. Um, there are a lot of moments that are a little bit like, well, there's there's no way that they were they were that forthright with each other but it no. is not trying to be this is not uh this is a fictional account this is not trying to be anything that it's not so this is a clip of uh one of the many of john and paul existential debates that we get in this film uh this is them talking about the value of feeling feeling their pain or from paul's perspective um why create why would you want to create more pain why can't making people happy be a part of who you are? Trying to make other people happy. It's like giving them a blanket or a piece of candy to chew on. You know, you, you've got to stir people up. Got to make them uneasy, you know. Make them miserable. Wish they'd never been born. That's the only way they'll wake up and face reality. And whose reality do you want them to wake up to, John? Yours. Everybody's in pain, Paul. If you want to do some real good, you ought to stop singing silly little love songs, mate. Just shut up for a while. And then, bloody scream. One thing I like about Two of Us is that it feels like a stage play. In a good way, I think. I mean, I would not be surprised at all if this was originally a stage play. Because it has that kind of three-act structure. It really it has that kind of quality to it. Uh, and it has what I love about the film is it is, it is the dialogue. It, it feels authentic to me. It sounds, it, sounds, it sounds like your best guess of what a conversation between John and, John and Paul would sound like. It does, and it also, the thing that really stood out to me about this film was that it felt very even-handed. It didn't feel like it was taking anybody's side. It didn't feel like it had an agenda. Um, it felt like it was giving everybody a fair shake. This sort of three-act structure is very, very three-act structure in this film. <laughs> yeah, it really does. You know, like, it's, yeah. the, it's the first, you know, the first bit is, you know, they're kind of meeting again for, and they're kind of feeling each other out. And then the second act is the park and in the cafe and then the third act is them on the roof and chatting about as as the clip sort of went over um the uh kind of that existential part and you know and the reasons why 
the two men were so different in some ways, and yet they complemented each other as well. It, so that three-act structure, which is very, very striking in this film, uh, is, uh, is, is really effective in that way. It's funny to me because it's a movie that, in many ways, it shouldn't work, but it does. I mean, it was made for VH1, but it feels very lifetime movie of the week kind of production quality. Yeah. And, and it has, you know, it has that made in Toronto feel to it. <laughs> and the scoring of this. <laughs> but it does. It works. It really does in, in the performances in many ways. Yeah. Because for me, if you had put Jared Harris and Aidan Quinn and had them play those roles in any other movie, I don't think it would have worked. I, mm. I don't think I don't think they actually I mean Jared Harris perhaps because I've watched him in four seasons of Mad Men. I mean yeah. that jawline is very, very recognizable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's hard he, he really doesn't really play Lennon, but he's so committed to the role that he's playing. Yeah. Uh, in, in that particular production, you don't really care. And Aiden yeah. Quinn just kind of defies all odds. As far as yeah, completely yeah. does. Well, yeah. and I, I have a pretty low standard for people trying to play the Beatles, particularly John, um, because it's so hard to get right, and it's so hard to get the character right. That kind of, similarly to how I don't really care if it's trying to be factual, I don't really care if it's if it's if they look like the Beatles or if they're really kind of inhabiting the, the soul of the, these guys, because they're kind of, they're myths anyway. So mm. it, they're never going to get to that level. But I guess this brings up a good question though. I mean, how on model do you need them to be? And because, you know, in, in this, they're not very on model. <laughs> no, in yeah. some ways, you know, when I was watching this film for the first time, there, there are parts of it where you forget that it's supposed to be John and Paul. They're just two friends mm. who've shared some kind of, glorious yet very very demanding on their psyches experiences together and that becomes the point and 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 you know after a while you they're just certain for me personally there are certain points in the film where oh yeah you just forget you, you forget it's supposed to be john lennon and paul mccartney they're just two friends and and the strength of the performances from from that aspect of things for me is what makes it work so well no, I think that's what I was trying to get at when I was saying it. You know, any other movie, this would be just you. You do you'll be nothing but bothered about how kind of how terrible their impersonations are. But yeah. but but in this particular movie, they're they're so committed to the actual dramatic premise of it. Yeah, that it, you don't you don't really care. Yeah, that's that's what it is. I, I think it's you know, there's just two guys who love each other. They don't know how to say it to each other. They've gone through some crap together, uh, and they're you know, and they're trying to make the best of it in this one thing and you get the impression too that you know this is their last shot you know to, yeah. to get it right it goes back to what you were saying robin at the beginning of this whole discussion that it is it's a myth tale and yeah. in a myth tale it doesn't really matter how on the nose they get their portrayals because yeah. it's a bigger story than anybody's impression or if you know how how good the glasses match john's like it it just yeah. doesn't matter well, I guess that leads me to talk about Backbeat, which I'm happy to do. Uh, it was directed by Ian Softley. I adored this film when I first saw it in 1994, and not just because of Cheryl Lee with a short haircut, um, <laughs> but it certainly helped. Um, but I still love it. Uh, and for me, it pulls off two really neat tricks. It, it captures the raw energy of the club scene in Hamburg um, in a way that's really just amazing. But it also gives the history of the Beatles, I think, without 
being on the nose. In fact, they only use the word Beatles once in the entire film. Mm. I love that aspect of it. And it really does it by being, it's a film about two friends mm. on the cusp of starting their lives, much less superstardom. It's, they're, they're, it's about two friends who go to Hamburg to have a different experience and wind up in different places as a result. So my scene is very early in the film. It's actually of John Lennon and Stuart Sutcliffe, played by Stephen Dorff, chatting and just and just basically taking the piss out of each other. You know what I like about Liverpool, Mr. Sutcliffe? Now, what is it you like about Liverpool, Mr. Lennon? I was hoping you'd tell me. I know what Arthur's gonna say. He's gonna say, I gave you a chance. I put a brush in your hand. Went out on a limb for you, and you're gonna toss it away to go and play bass in John Lennon's skiffle band. It's not a skiffle band. He's gonna say it's a rock and roll band. Open the doors for no, you. It's not my band. Yeah, that's what he'll say. It's a group. We're a group. We're in it together. He's gonna shit himself. I like Arthur. You know he's all right, but he thinks art's something you gotta hang on the wall in a pool of light. It's a disease with him. He thinks it's all about Van Gogh. Uh, nothing wrong with Van Gogh. Oh, no, I had away with Van Gogh. Did you? Bumped into him, you are nice in the grapes. Yeah? Yeah. St. Vincent may where did it all go wrong. You know what he said? He mean to tell you this. Ah, what'd he say? He said, if I could do it all again, I'd be up there shaking me bum doing blue suede shoes. It's all dick. That's what he said. I gave him your regards. Ah, thanks. And, and one of the things I love about it is that John Lennon is more on model. I think Ian Hart is about 80% uh, like John Lennon, so which I will take mm -hmm. um, because because I guess it's closer to what anyone's ever going to get. Uh, he's got the voice perfectly, and he's got certain mannerisms really down. I, I really love Hart's portrayal, mm -hmm. and everyone else in that, it, it, all the other people. I mean, it has got, I think, the best on-screen portrayal of George Harrison I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's good. absolutely. Yeah. And Gary Bakewell basically made a sidelight in, in playing Paul McCartney in, in TV movies for the rest of the 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> I adore this movie. I, I adore the verve of it. I adore the kind of energy of it. I, I love the music mm -hmm. of it, especially. Uh, the, I mean, they basically got this this incredible band uh, of, you know, D Dave Grohl. They got, they had Mike Mills mm -hmm. of R.E.M. doing bass. They had, you know, they had, they had, they had uh, Dave Pillner of Soul Asylum. It is this, it is this... And they had them all go play like a bar band. It was just which is basically great. what the Beatles were, as we discussed uh, in their Hamburg days. You know, they were just they were just plugging in and playing on crappy instruments, and you know, just shouting uh, raw R and B songs. You know, into the crowd. It's one of those movies where I think you know watching it on DVD or Blu-ray doesn't do it justice because I think I remember watching it in 1990 on a movie theater that had 24 track Dolby stereo, and and that sound is just so amazing yeah. on those songs they just dry it's just big and loud and drives through you and and, and when you listen to it now you're kind of like going well why does john lennon suddenly sound amazing? Yeah. <laughs> there were some accent moments in the singing that could have you don't really care so much when you're watching it really loud uh like the like they have it in the actual mix in the movie it, it really it, it it's really designed to just sort of capture the kind of verve of yeah just the raw experience of of what they how they presented themselves you know that Again, that, that idea that you forget it's supposed to be the Beatles for a second, and it's just, it's just a bunch of down-to-earth guys. The, the reason that 
you really do particularly forget that this is a film about the Beatles for this one is that in a way it's not like, it's really about Stu and it's really like yeah. one of the greatest portrayals that I've seen weirdly of painting in film. My father is an artist. So like that kind of creative process of, you know, throwing different materials at a canvas and hoping that something works is so rarely well portrayed. And this film really nails it. So I think yeah. that, that leads you to kind of forget that it's a movie about the Beatles, because in a way, it really doesn't feel like it is. It's a nifty trick because it's focusing on, on Stu and it's focusing on Astrid. It gives you that sort of sense of distance from 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 the myth. And and I, I like it because it, it doesn't feel like it's a mythical Beatles mm. movie. It, it feels like it feels like a movie about two 19 year olds who are just on the on the cusp of becoming adults. But Rob, what were your thoughts on Backbeat? I, I remember you seeing in the theater with me. In, in yeah, uh, I, I think that the thing that stands out for me is the music, obviously. And we've already talked about that a little bit. But just the just the idea of having the music not sound like the Beatles was important. Um, because otherwise it would have kind of uh, distracted a little bit in the way that in the way that the birth of the Beatles kind of distracted when they were when they had the Beatles sound alike type stuff. It it kind of that that wasn't the point. The point was that these were young men, uh, and that they they went to a, a strange place and had strange kind of surroundings, and they had to deal. And the music really really uh, reflects that. I think you know it, it's loud, it's raw. Um, I love the scene where um, uh, Ian Hart's uh, John Lennon says, "You know, we're we're pra- we're playing eight-hour shifts. You know, we're completely done in. I don't know how we're going to survive this anymore. Like, it's not even fair that we're being asked to do this." And then somebody offers him a, a little blue pill, a preludin, I guess, right? Yeah. Which is what the Beatles like just ate, like you know, M and M's or something like that when they were in Hamburg. And it goes from him being completely, you know, done, and it it cuts right to the you make me dizzy, Miss Lee, and then the veins popping yeah. out of of his uh, neck, and yeah. just you know they totally went uh, sort of mental. So you know, this is a movie about uh, what they had to do to deal uh, with with you know their strange surroundings, and it doesn't do what the birth of the Beatles. Did which is this is historic and this is historic. Right. This thing is historic here. See this thing we're pointing at. This it's historic. You know that the this movie doesn't do that. Yeah. yeah, this movie does not do that. There's a couple of references to the fact that Paul can play bass better than Stuart. Yeah, and that's, and that's about it. it. Yeah. And and yeah. and you kind of need that for the for, for the virtue uh-huh. of the plot right. anyway. I mean, if you look at the scene after Stu dies in yeah. backbeat. It is basically there is no histrionics of speech. Yeah. He just he he just attempts to sing "Love Me Tender" like like Stu, and then and then it's like one two three four. That's going to twist and shout. So shot. much it more is, real. It just is yeah. so it, it it's so much more emotionally affecting. Yeah, and I think that's the thing I love about about Backbeat. It, it, it was for me a movie with that that I really connected to in my twenties because it was a movie yeah. about twenty year olds, and it was a and it was a movie and it was a movie about that kind of being in that space and that in that place and and about those emotions and how heady those emotions are and how heady it is to sort of go and sort of try and find your calling as an artist and at the same time find love and at the same time deal with deal with your friends and 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 all those kind of mixes of things and the idea of being confronted by intimacy and having to deal with yeah with that uh and not not necessarily having the tools because there's that thing where Paul McCartney says, what is it between you two? And there's a sort of 
the sort of sexual frisson that happens between uh, Ian Hart's character and uh, Stephen Dorff's character, uh, Stu and, and John Lennon. And it's not dealt with in a really overt, obvious, ham-fisted way. It's just kind of mentioned. And, uh, you know, they, they, have to, they have to figure out what, what male intimacy means. And they don't have the tools, you know. And that is another interesting part of the, of the film that makes it so compelling. Now, all five of these movies are very different, but the one commonality seems to be John Lennon. He seems to loom large in all these films. Is that because he's the one band member who was incapable of suing for libel, or is there, <laughs> or is there another appeal to, to... <laughs> uh, it? I think it's because John Lennon was, he's the one who put himself out there the most, frankly, in his own life. You know, so a lot of the stuff that, that feeds a lot of these narratives were were things that were obvious because John Lennon wasn't afraid to talk about them when he was alive you know he talked about his mom he talked about uh you know the the pain felt uh about losing her at a young age um he talked about his anger a lot and he put himself out there so you know in some ways it it's it's much easier to talk about John Lennon than it was about uh George Harrison which you know George George was a great musician, but his attitude was, leave me alone. <laughs> Were there any opinions on the gooseberries of, of a lot, Nowhere Boy and the Hours and the Times? I liked Nowhere Boy. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with Nowhere Boy. The kid from Love Actually being Paul was pretty delightful. <laughs> In a better suit for George, actually, because he has that like sadness behind his eyes that Paul just ne- never had, really. Yeah. Um, so there, there was a little bit of a disconnect there, um, but I did enjoy it. I enjoyed Nowhere Boy in a similar way to Backbeat in that it didn't really feel like it was about the Beatles. Yeah, it was, it was about Aunt Mimi and, and, and his relationship with, with uh, you know, with uh, Julia and with, and with John. It was like a kind of a triangle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, as you say, Shannon, it, it wasn't about the Beatles. It was about those three characters and how complex their relationship. Nowhere Boy is one I, I, I've never quite, I, I, I like it, but it, it, it feels like a late 2000s uh, British historical movie. It kind of feels like it's doing the Beatles history by numbers more than, I, I don't feel like it has as much a heart. I, I think it's got some, I think uh, in particular, I, I think Kristen Scott Thomas is, is a, and Anne-Marie Duff are amazing in it. Oh yeah. But it felt very kind of what the British film industry does nowadays. It, it felt, it felt like, it, it felt like it was one step away from being, you know, um, uh, made in Dagenham, I guess, but with the Beatles. Well, it, it was like a British uh, kitchen sink drama, right? That's that's kind of the feel I think that they were going for, and in some in some ways it totally works in, as a film in that way. Some some of the casting was a little difficult for me, um, but the principal casts were you know were fine. Um, again, I I know I know some of the 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 story you know from reading books about the Beatles and things like that, uh, and I think they did a pretty good job with uh, with establishing that three way direction emotions. Um, and trying to figure out what 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 those are all about. Basically, they did, they just played it like a kitchen sink a kitchen sink drama, you know. And and in many ways, you know that that was the best way to go about it. 
what about the hours in the times i liked it a lot actually it's 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 a short film it's 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 again not really what anything that happened um you can virtually a student yeah. film i mean you know you, you know you can you watch the scenes on the plane and it's like there's three actors and they're trying to shoot high enough that you can't see any of the seats um, you know i i but I, I i really liked it a lot i thought ian hart was just it was just phenomenal in it um and and i thought it really caught the dynamic of of, Ep, of epstein and 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 lennon really well yeah, yeah, and I think it's a it's based on you know it's based on the story of uh, Brian Epstein and John Lennon taking a holiday together in Spain in, in 1963, right? So it's based actual stuff like that, but it's again it's hard to know what the real story actually was was ever going to be. No, it's it's not it's not truth. It's truthiness. It's it's a pure tr- yeah. It's a very truthy. It's a very truthy version of of of, of John Lennon, but but well. And- feels appropriate for what is essentially like a weird little art film yeah like it's it's okay it doesn't need to be any like like i've been saying it's not pretending to be anything that it's not like it is a weird little art film and it has this kind of bizarre interpretation of what what might have happened it's interesting for what it is i didn't really connect emotionally to this one kind of at all frankly but i i enjoyed it kind of abstractly (laughs) I didn't connect to it emotionally either, but in some ways, I think that's rather the point. It's one of those. Right. It's one of those. It's one of those relationships that you feel like you need to have some sense of distance of. It, 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 that's kind of what I liked about it in some ways. What would be your favorites and least favorites of these five films? Oh mm-hmm. man, that's a tough one. That's um, a tough one. Yeah, they. In some ways, they don't. I don't. I don't even consider them as being. You know, I mean, they're all about the Beatles in some way, but you know, and they're so different. You know, and with so many different uh, emphasis. You know, emphases. There we go. Um, that uh, it's difficult to kind of compare and contrast. I have to say, though, I have to say, the birth of the Beatles holds a certain charm for me, uh, only because I remember watching it when I was in. I guess guess the fourth grade or something like that or the fifth grade something like that and it 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 charmed me and it made me interested in the whole Beatles myth Uh, whereas before you know I loved the records and everything like that but I didn't really know a lot of that Beatles myth type stuff as ham-fisted as it is in in certain places despite all that despite all that it 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 kind of uh, it kind of introduced me to the myth of the Beatles and the fact that it's this grand story that's you know that you know that we know just you know just by reflex now but back then it was new and oh that's how it happened and you know and i think that that's what the uh the intention of the of the film actually was so in a strange way you know it succeeds on that level and uh, i guess i guess it holds a certain place in my heart so does backbeat backbeat i remember i think you made a really good point graham about it being about men in their 20s uh and i was a man in my 20s when I saw it so uh it 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 had a certain um relevance to me it it certainly connected with me in in terms of you know learning how to be a grown-up and stuff like that so uh so that those two I think I'd probably pick although I do have a uh, an affection for two of us as well and it's mostly because of what you said earlier Shannon about it being a wish fulfillment like You know, you you uh, you listen to the records, you know the story, and you begin to love these people, uh, and you you hope that they work things out between them. You know, even if life is a lot messier than that, and and there's all kinds of loose ends. When it comes to pure story 
and just the sort of love that you feel for these people who, who's given given so much to the world. You kind of hope that, that that they worked it out. And this movie kind of helped to tie that together. Yeah, something really interesting happened to me at the end of, of Two of Us that I was not expecting, which is, you know, there's a, always this kind of saying, I'm a Shakespeare geek, but bear with me, it'll, it'll connect, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this kind of saying that, in, you know, everybody knows the end of Romeo and Juliet. We all know what's going to happen. But if it's a good production, then every time you see it, you're hoping that it ends differently. Mm. Even though you know there's no way. There's, there's absolutely no way it's going to end any differently than it, than it is. Because it's Romeo and Juliet and this is what happens. But if it's a good yeah. production, then you're sitting there like, no, 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 no. Please don't let this, just let it be different this time. Yeah, And I really had that visceral reaction to the end of Two of Us that I was not expecting. Like, I yeah. know that they did not go down and play on SNL. I know that. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. Yeah. But at the end of this film, I was just, like, sitting on my bed saying, like, no, 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 please just go down. Please just get your guitars yeah. and go. And yeah. I was not expecting to, ha- to for it to be able to pull off such a feat. But it really does. I think there's a there's a really lovely emotional arc to that film that it kind of doesn't you know it has kind of no right pulling that off but it really does and you know you've got to give it credit so is it two of us at your pick shannon it would have to be just because i didn't i didn't get that kind of a a storytelling from any of the others i mean i think the other four are pretty even keeled um there were no real standouts and there were also none that i just did not enjoy at all like it felt they each had their strengths and weaknesses, and I enjoyed watching all of them, but I have to give it to two of us because it just it pulled off that Romeo and Juliet trick, and I was not expecting it to. I, I'm going to be really boring. Uh, my my favorite is Backbeat, um, and I, I just I think it's a brilliant film. I, I, I felt it was one of the best films of 1994 when I was alive during it. It still holds up well today, and, and if, if, if there's only that amazing version of Kiss Me Honey for alone uh, that they do over the, over the end credits, uh, I, I would still love it for that. And Stephen Dorff is, and Cheryl Lee are just wonderful, and Ian Hart is a ball of fire. Uh, my least favorite is easily Birth of the Beatles. I just hate that movie. Um, and, 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 and funnily enough, I remember when Rob and I lived in Britain in, in 96, I think it was like December 96 or January 97, We they showed Backbeat on Channel 4. And I think they showed it at like 10 o'clock at night. And then they followed it up at midnight with Birth of the Beatles, which oh, I had... Uh. And I'm like going, oh my god, how do we go from here to here? Like, like, there, like, there are differences in, in, yeah. in quality, definitely. I will say I'm very glad I watched Birth of the Beatles first. I feel like if I had not watched it first, I would not have been so kind to it. But because it was the first one in the loop that I watched, it was kind of unoffensive to me. Two of Us comes very close, I have to say. Like Shannon, I had that kind of visceral reaction to the ending. You really want it to go well for these guys. You really want Lauren Michaels to cut the check for them. It's emotionally affecting. I still think you can make an amazing stage play out of it. I still think that if there's a if there's a Broadway investor somewhere around that's looking for a good play, I, I think they should go in and get the rights to this. I think it's a pretty dandy uh, two-hander um, that, that is just waiting to be done on Broadway. I guess my last question is, uh, is there a period in Beatles history that you would like to see Covered in a film. I think uh, uh, Maharishi Summer Camp might make, make, might make a really good Yeah, movie. that was my pick too. Yeah, I that's my pick. That sounds great. I'd watch that yeah, movie. That, I think that there, there'd be all kinds of interesting stuff that they could, they could uh, uh, explore. Certainly the idea of the Beatles becoming individuals and not becoming a group. 
I, th I think that would be a really good central, uh, uh, central kind of core to a film like that. So, if any, are there any filmmakers out there? Maybe, uh, maybe that's yeah. uh, your next uh, picture. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm throwing my weight behind that. That sounds great. I, I actually am too. It's on the road to Rishikesh. That has to be made. There's a really great uh, book. I think it's by Michael Saltzman. Um, anyways, his last name is Saltzman. He he was actually in Rishikesh back in the '60s, uh, and uh, at the same time the Beatles were, and and so he was at the ashram just staying. and And he took all these Kodachrome slides of uh, of of the Beatles that he just he and his daughter happened to find like 20 or 30 years later, and and he published it in a, in a coffee table book, and and it's utterly amazing. So. All the visual matter is there yeah. to actually to actually adapt and, storyboards, you know, man. Yeah, I always kind of look at these films and go, okay, what what famous photograph of the Beatles are they going to illustrate this time? And you know, you you, you got John, you got you've got you know Paul McCartney on the bog in in Backbeat, you got, and all the Astrid Kircher publicity photos. You've got you know the photo of of them on the on the back of the on the back of the trailer for the Village Fade and Nowhere Boy. You know, so I think you know this is this 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 movie has got you know you've got all the famous famous pictures you can you can you can adapt for it absolutely well that's all the time we have uh, we'll be back with a regular episode of the euro the beatles very soon in the meantime thank you rob jones and shannon dohar thanks guys thanks so much i'm graham burke we'll see you next time